This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 345 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's narrow 3-2 defeat against Bayern Munich and what that match will mean for the rest of the Bundesliga title race. For that and more joins me Archie Rintut. Hello Archie, how are you doing? Hey Stefan, I'm, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm delighted to have you here. Obviously, right now you are the uh, field reporter for ESPN, right? Uh, is that the correct work description? Yeah, I think I, I, th I think that's correct. Pitch side reporter uh, for the Bundesliga and uh, ESPN FC Bundesliga correspondent. So you can see me uh, having a chat with Dan Thomas most Monday nights alongside Steve Chirundolo. Yeah, that's uh, very cool. Uh, obviously, most uh, people already know you from your exploits at Fox and the Bundesliga. So uh, you are a very prominent face, but uh, unfortunately, people do not get to see you this time because this is a podcast. And uh, because this being a podcast, that means I have a bit of housekeeping to do. Um, and uh, this is a good time to announce that uh, due to this being an international break, we'll do an international break Q&A next week so uh, it's probably going to be Lars, Matthias and I at the helm I don't know if Constantine will make it but uh, pepper us with questions you can uh, send us the questions to our Twitter at yellowwallpod you can even use the hashtag YWP346 <laughs> if you will to make it easier for me you can uh, send us uh, also questions to Facebook uh, at yellowwallpod leave them in the uh, YouTube comments of this episode shoot us a direct message on our Patreon which you can find on uh, patreon.com slash the yellowwall or shoot us an email at yellowwallpod at gmail.com and uh, while we're here might as well announce the sponsor for our episode wir sind komplett schuldenfrei wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen and this episode is sponsored <laughs> by Zach Hill who is excited about uh, Yusufa Mokoko who turned 16 on November 20th which means he will be eligible to play on the 21st against Hertha BSC. We will see whether he'll actually make the matchday squad but uh, Zach is definitely excited about having a backup for Arling Haaland and I think so are we all. Um, and now I think it's Time to dive into the game, which was Borussia Dortmund against FC Bayern Munich, second against first. And uh, unfortunately, the black and yellows were not the uh, winners in this outcome. But Archie, I think it's fair since I have you of all people here. Uh, before we actually talk about the game, um, may I ask how the entire matchday experience was for you, considering that uh, there were no people in the stands, so you basically arrive at the parking lot and uh, what happens then? What things are different for a reporter now than they were before? I can never quite get used to going to Borussia Dortmund with no fans being there at all because from from the moment you step off the 
the the, the train at Dortmund Hauptbahnhof usually you sense it's match day and right now I have to rent a car I have to drive to Dortmund uh, due to uh, pandemic rules and <laughs> yeah you don't with, want to be caught on a runner train <laughs> no no I, I have taken the train before and I, I have to say most of the time it's empty but it's just it's very different I, I ghoulish I would almost say you, you can you can almost hear the ghosts of the fans and that's kind of in blowing the pulsating through. metropolis that is the Ruhrgebiet yeah and look you when you arrive you have to get uh, tested you have to fill out uh, a formula saying that you're not suffering under any corona symptoms and then you walk into the stadium and and my route uh, to to where I was working on on Saturday for ESPN uh, so t- took me underneath the underneath the yellow wall and you're walking past all these uh, murals uh, done by by the various ultra groups and and there's something quite special being able to see all of these uh, works of art up close but on the other hand it it feels like it feels like you're trespassing on someone else's turf it feels like you shouldn't be here and you're about to get chased out i i oh, i also actually uh, I, I i use the toilets underneath the uh, the infamous <laughs> block 12 and let me tell you that with no fans there for seven months you really wouldn't know it it smells appalling uh so like you can still smell the fans <laughs> in some <laughs> sense uh, but sadly you can't hear them and as as much as i i love my job and i feel it's a great privilege to to do what i do there there is another part part of me which is just like it's just not the same without fans and as much as the game on saturday was a was a very good one it's it just doesn't compare with what a normal match day is, what a, uh, I should say, normal in inverted commas match day is at Borussia Dortmund pre-pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it it, it probably is eerie. I mean, Lucien Favre after the game said that this was probably a good game for the TV audience and then bemoaned that there were no people in the stands, but uh, you actually were in the stands, so... Um, do, do you sit uh, at the at the press stand where you usually sit and then uh, walk down for whenever you need to be done or where do you park during the 90 minutes so you have a good view of what's going on on field? So I sit in the normal press stand, which is almost the uh, almost the identical view that you get at home uh, as, as a TV viewer. Uh, and then after the game, because of Corona regulations, uh, I was asking my questions to Erling Haaland and Gio Reyna this time uh, over a, over like a talkback box. So I was still sitting up in the stands, but they could hear me out of a speaker, which was uh, just down by the side of the pitch where they were standing. So that was a little bit surreal. Uh, it, it felt it felt a little bit like I was working in a, in a, in some sort of power plant and I was kind of sending messages to them. Uh, like, <laughs> it, 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 it didn't feel kind of normal because particularly as a, as a pitch side interviewer, uh, one of the biggest things for me is being able to have eye contact and be able to see the person who I'm, who I'm talking to. And even if that is usually with a mask, it does help because I think that they get a greater feeling for, uh, how you're trying to empathize with them after a game. I don't, uh, when I have an interviewee, I don't want to 
like scare them off. I I want to try and be on their side and hear what their thoughts are. Um, I think that's, <laughs> I kind of like that, the idea of that's the magic my job. Archie box asking questions. However, <laughs> <laughs> that's my job. Um, but yeah, it was it. It, it, it was a bit surreal. So normally if, if I'm working uh, for the Bundesliga world feed, then uh, you, you are pitch side. Uh, that is one of the, um, the, the holy positions where you do get to stand within four meters of the players. But then you have like a massive boom pole. So like a long microphone being put on the end of a stick, uh, which is then kind of ushered out uh, by some some strong men. Although, believe it or not, if you see some of the technical guys that, that work there, some of them, I'm kind of like, how are you able to have the muscle strength to hold that microphone <laughs> for as long as you do? <laughs> yeah, you just need to lever it r- the right way, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, I get to hold my own microphone. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm in a fortunate position. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- it's 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 great to hear that you have these privileges, but uh, obviously they are earned since I know Archie a very long uh, way back. I know the work he puts in and he is one of the best. So I'm very happy that uh, you actually got the gig. Uh, very much deserved. Now um, that gig obviously entails now that uh, you by yourself for the next half hour with me asking any questions whatsoever, just uh, in one streamline, analyze this entire game. Go. Hey, all good. <laughs> <laughs> all good. Um, fire away, Stefan. Fire now, away. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the lineups, obviously. Um, I think that was uh, my main gripe uh, right after the game and already before the game is that uh, the lineup to me looked pretty good apart from uh, the midfield because I was really hoping for uh, Mahmoud Dahoud to play instead of Axel Witzel and uh, I think uh, the overall performance by Witzel sort of justified my opinion. Uh, not that Witzel had a particularly bad game, but he is just, uh, uh, yeah, a player that's that's uh, very uh, slow. I mean, it's it's in 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 one regard very valuable because he's very calm in midfield and the way he distributes the ball can really help. But Dortmund uh, against Bayern need to move the ball around a bit quicker than they did, even though I think their possession stints in, in most parts were really good. But especially in the first half, in the beginning where Dortmund uh, reverted to a lot of long balls, I thought you wanted to have someone who was a bit quicker in the counter-pressing and a uh, bit more crisp in midfield. So um, to me, uh, in the in the big midfield battle, which obviously was also influenced by an injury, which we'll talk about in a second, um, I thought... Of all the uh, things that Lucien Favre did right, this might be the one thing uh, that he might have done wrong. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Archie, uh, what's yours? You see, one of the things that I found since coming to Germany is, which which I did some five years ago, is a new appreciation of watching the Zexa, as you call it, the, the, the number sixes. Because the way that I watch football in the UK, I have to say that a lot of the time I didn't really notice them. And now I kind of understand the game better in that <laughs> it's almost like instead of watching the ball, it's like watch the two holding midfielders and you get more of an understanding of the game. And even doing that, I have to say, I really struggle to notice Axel Witzel on, on, on Saturday. And I think that Thomas Delaney 
I he, he would have been the person I would have placed more of a question mark over. I know Axel Witzel's not been in great form recently and was rightfully dropped uh, the other week as well. But I think... I think I can understand why Favre still went with him, particularly when you are playing against Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich, two players who are not afraid to bully you off the ball. And I I think that it, it made sense to me going with Witzel and, and Delaney because against Bayern, like, okay, Against most teams, you're maybe going to face the attacking midfielder in, in Borussia Dortmund's case. But against Bayern, you're going to face more of Kimmich and Goretzka driving at you because Thomas Muller, he's gone. He's behind you. You've, you've not got anything to do with him most of the time. So I thought that, I thought that the selection of Witzel was, was still justified. I thought that the biggest decision was selecting Mats Hummels after training a bit on Friday and uh, and then doing an individual training session on the Saturday morning because this isn't the first time that Mats Hummels has come into this game at Dortmund against Bayern last time on the Bayern side uh, uh, when Dortmund won 3-2 uh, in Lucien Favre's first uh, edition of this fixture a few years ago. Um when he came in half fit and was very much blowing uh, in the second half. And I don't think it was as noticeable this time, but if you look at all three def- all three goals and after the game he was pointing out how they were all deflected, it's like, well, the fact that you're saying they're deflected almost points out in itself, it's like, are you trying to deflect away from the fact that these goals are being conceded? Because they're like the, the first goal, he misses the challenge, which then Delaney has to go and foul Serge Nabry for the free kick in a very dangerous position, regardless of it being in, uh, being deflected in. If you give away a free kick there against a top class side, you're in trouble. The second goal, he's beaten by Lewandowski in the air. And whilst that can happen at the same time, he's pushing off like, if you're trying to jump, then like you do need your hamstring. You need every inch of your body to be there. And I question whether it was the third goal timing of his challenge. But then again, I really struggle to criticize a defender who's tired against Leroy Sane running in behind him. It's like, good luck. And his challenge almost said that as well. But I thought that Hummels was the big decision. The question is, what options, what other options did Lucien Favre have? And I think that the the the, the, the risk reward that he ultimately ended up taking was, well, it'll probably be better playing a seventy percent fit Hummels than it would be, say, playing Axel Witzel there or Emre Chan, who's not been able to train in two weeks. Yeah, uh, you immediately put your finger right into the wound there because obviously. Mats Hummels, before he picked up the injury, was in absolute world-class form. And mm. I think you're absolutely right that it, in this game, uh, he was not the same Mats Hummels that we've seen pre-injury. And uh, yeah, I was wondering that too, you know, uh, how good will he be after like five minutes of training and uh, praying that everything holds? And uh, yeah, we've seen it. Um, Mats Hummels, uh, obviously had a couple of good moments like he always has, uh, especially a couple of really nice passes to open up the game, which was important. But um, yeah, he wasn't as crisp and as, as sharp as, as uh, he could have or should have been. And uh, that's uh, in this game in particularly, it's it's really problematic, though. I would say this uh, when uh, Lewandowski scored the header for the 2-1 
Um, that's a really tough one to defend. I've seen him score this type of goal a million times already. And um, it was unfortunate that Hummels sort of deflected the ball. I think it was with his shoulder, right? Sort of mm -hmm. extended the, the, the header even further away from Berkey and into the far corner. Um, I don't know if I really want to criticize Hummels there because when Hummels, uh, when Lewandowski is in, in the air like this, uh, he sort of gets the angle and, and everything right. I mean, you can push him off, but uh, a lot of defenders uh, who were 100% fit have already failed to um, defend that. But yeah, the way he went down for the for the third one and uh, obviously um, the the mistimed or the, the, the misposition before uh the first Bayern goal was obviously very unfortunate and uh, not very Hummels like so I think in that regard you are correct um what, what so it's two out of three you're giving me yeah I yeah I do <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that <laughs> or, or that, let's say two that's and a, a half. pass <laughs> two and a half yeah uh, <laughs> I wasn't keeping score uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> fair enough um <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, how how did you perceive the first half in, in general? Because um, it was interesting to see how Dortmund had very strong first five minutes or so. And then, uh, you know, a lot of long balls and Bayern sort of clawed away from the game and then and took more dominance. And then obviously Dortmund were the ones to open the scoring. Uh, what, what did you make of the uh, alternating phases of the first half alone? Well, that's it. It was it was alternating for the first 20 minutes. The, the, what helps me to remember phases of the game is that I actually have a little notepad, which I put any Bayern action in red and I put any <laughs> Dortmund action uh, in black because I've got a four-way pen you, and you, I'm very you, proud of that. <laughs> you are. Your parents are so disappointed right now that you are not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> we're great actually four way pen that's exactly what uh, what we had in mind for our son on our way weirdly close to the truth um, but <laughs> uh, no but like it, it does help me at least to get an idea of the flow of the game and I think for the first 21 minutes, I'm looking here and it goes red, black, red, black, red, black, red, black. And then there's just a little bit of a phase of red. I don't um, know why in my mind, the, uh, alternating, alternate, <laughs> the alternating colors were yellow and red, but obviously those usually come not in yellow, but black and four way pens come. Where, where I come from, four-way pens <laughs> come in, uh, red, black, green, and blue. Yeah. Um, yeah. so we, we, which covers most of the teams in the Bundesliga. I, I can usually associate at least one color with, with, with a team who's playing, which is, you know, advantageous. If, if there was a team playing in orange, I might struggle. Um, Anyway, I feel I'm distracting away from the uh, actual question that you asked me here. No, it's, uh, it's entirely my fault. I take 100% of the blame. <laughs> All good. Um, it's, it's just adding a bit of colour to the conversation anyway. Um, there was a phase before the half hour mark where when Bayern scored uh, their first disallowed goal through Robert Lewandowski and uh, he got in between Hummels and Akanji that I really thought... Bayern are taking control of the game here in a similar way that they did uh, in in the same fixture last season during the uh, during the first lockdown uh, set of fixtures that we had. And the moment that Kimmich got injured, there was suddenly uh, Bayern players shrank, 
and the, the Dortmund players grew. That's how big a player I think that Kimmich is for for Bayern. Uh, but also it was it was more Dortmund believing it's like hang on we can do this we've got, we've got them here and and that and that phase i think would have been would have been maybe felt more if the fans had been there um but i thought that for for the most part like there was still what what stands out for me is Marco Royce yelling at Gio Reyna um after he didn't quite get to a pass Dortmund it still felt they lacked just that that touch of decisiveness uh, in in front of goal when Erling Haaland uh, was slipped through by Gio Reyna uh, after after 21 minutes there was a there was a point where you would have expected him to shoot but he just took a half a second longer which i thought is very un-Haaland-esque yeah it's I, very the, true the, the the Erling Haaland I know, even if he's making a decision about where to put the ball, he's made that decision and then he sticks with it. But the way that the ball just dribbled wide, I was like, that that's not who, who hit that? That wasn't Erling Haaland. And I wonder, we know about the the depth of tactical instruction that Lucien Favre imparts to his players in terms of the detail, the level of detail that he goes into, whether it's about how you're holding your hands or what foot you're pushing off on. I wonder if Haaland is overthinking things a little bit. There was the chance in the second half, which I'm sure we'll come to as well, just before Bayern made it 2-1. And Haaland strikes me as somebody who is total instinct. When he's at his best, you can't deal with him because he doesn't even know what he's going to do. He's just in this wild, uh, this wild fit of rage that he plays in. And, and you can see that, and you can see that in the celebrations, just how much adrenaline is, is in him. And I, the, the one thing I don't think you want to do with Erling Haaland is tame him. And I wonder if he's maybe started overthinking things a little bit. He's recognizing that, hang on. Manuel Neuer's in goal here. I need to put this in a specific place. And actually, the best thing he could do would be to just go full Erling and <laughs> and hammer the ball as much as possible because it's something that not a lot of players can do and it's something that he's done very well in the past. So Haaland's out-of-characterness stuck out for me, but also the way that the game seemed to swing uh, back in Dortmund's favour after that Kimmich injury... That 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 really stood out, and then Dortmund don't defend the final counter attack of the half, and 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 look what happens. You go in at one one, and I think that really took the sting out of Dortmund, and it took the sting out of their belief that okay, Kimmich is gone. It's like ah, okay, they're still dangerous. Ah, well, maybe we're not as safe as we were. Yeah, I think you made a couple of really excellent points, uh, which is something that I discover anew for every Dortmund against Bayern game, where I can literally see the Dortmund players overthinking. Um, it's it's very normal, I think, in in such a high stakes game that uh, things that they usually do, like passing routines and certain getting certain angles or controlling a ball in a certain way. They usually get easily right. Um, some some uh, moments just get a little adrift. And mm. uh, I I think that's that's just normal that you feel a bit more pressure just because you know it's Bayern and uh, mistakes are more costly. You know it's just the same how you're more nervous to do an exercise in the math test when you know it's being graded uh, versus when you know you can just do this exercise 
uh, without any scrutiny. I, I think it's 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 a very similar thing that uh, nerves do play a role, and uh, mm-hmm. so uh, even Arling Haaland is not uh, completely immune from that. We've seen in in this game in particular. Um, it's it's also just a little weird that um, you know this this one hesitation, as as you said, is um, you know. So so unlike him, just because usually he just lashes it, and uh, he is the master of the uh, off balance shot that you almost don't see coming, and gets a lot of power and precision behind it. And for some reason, he didn't do that. And yeah, obviously the way Dortmund then uh, defended the counter attack uh, <laughs> that that yielded in this free kick was was quite shocking, I must say. I <laughs> I don't I don't know. It was uh, it was just so soft. I mean. Just, just to pick up on the Harland point, I, of course, of course, he can, he can finish in other ways, but I, you know, he, he, he goes for the far corner against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I think, for example, and he, he went for that little look for that little chip uh, against uh, Frederick Renault against against Schalke, but it's even in those positions, I think he knows what he's doing, and it, I, I think the problem is just more this hesitancy. Yeah, usually he is very uh, flowing in his uh, movements and doesn't have a mm. hesitation, unless of of course you're Paco Alcázar and then you, you try to uh, funk Manuel Neuer out by by pretending to shoot and then uh, not shooting and then having a chip, uh, which is oh, that how, was fun. Yeah, that was I remember. Really fun. I remember when he scored that goal and being being in the stadium that night and just the way that the ball dribbled towards goal and you could hear the yellow wall like almost sucking the ball in and just like <laughs> it, it's weird seeing part of a stand knowing that the ball well part of twenty thousand people on one block knowing that the ball's going in and the other half being like should we believe them should we celebrate with them as well or are we going to be <laughs> punished because we still see that Manuel Neuer is the goalkeeper there and if you celebrate too fast <laughs> like surely surely Neuer's not misjudged Alcasa and it's like oh no he has um, but yeah, I, I remember the celebrations to that, uh, to that goal. That, that was wild. And now I'm missing fans again. Thanks, Stefan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry about that. So let's quickly uh, move on to the next subject, which is uh, Rafael Guerrero, because he had an excellent oh. night, I thought. Oh. And um, let's talk about the, uh, obviously, the first, first Dortmund goal that uh, was scored uh, by Marco Royce and the uh, inside of the... Uh, boot shot of of Royce, which was like very difficult to do. Like from from the pass that he got by Guerrero, mm. just the, the way he opened his body position, should just sort of deflect <laughs> the ball sort of into the net, but still getting power on it. And uh, Manuel Neuer's reclamier arm wasn't fast enough uh, to save that one. So uh, Archie, I know I, I just sort of pivoted to Royce right away, but. Um, uh, Rafael Guerrero, in 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 many sense of the word, had a really terrific night. Only not the result, but but his passes and his his masterclass uh, in in that sense was was really great. It's about the way that he hits the ball technically. I think that's what makes him stand out, and that's what enables him to play some of these balls which you don't see many other players i'd say even in world football playing like the the pass to harland the assist for the second goal mm-hmm. this that 
it's 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 more of a scoop. It's not it's not really a chip because it, <laughs> it's just the way that it. It's something I, I think you'd expect more in beach football, not in. Um, it's true. Not in. It's true. In 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 football on grass, really, and just the way he's able to use the outside of his boot, like I think that's what really sets him apart. And and the assist for Royce is is good, but as you say, it took me until seeing a reverse angle of of the Royce goal to realise that actually Royce is having to play that on the bounce. And to find the right balance in your body to play that is is quite some technical skill as well. So, yeah, kudos to Royce. I know there was a chance in the 86th minute that went begging <laughs> um, where, it's a vo- where it's a volley on his wrong foot, 12 yards from goal. And the thing, I think the problem for Marco Royce is his reputation of how good a striker of the ball he is and how good his technique is. And how he scored a ridiculous half volley in this fixture back in that that three two game we keep referencing uh, a while back. It makes you think that that was a really big chance for you know if if it had been uh, say Tom Mounier there, then <laughs> I think I think the a, a clumsier result would have been uh, more expected. Not not that I'm against Tom Mounier by the way. I I actually think whilst he may not uh, be as technically gifted as some of his teammates, such as Rafael Guerrero, like he runs an unbelievable amount. I I was checking the statistics after the game and he ran 12.6 kilometers, uh, which was more than any other player on the pitch. And I just remember looking up after reading that statistic being like, oh, where's Mounier? And I just saw him kind of in in a starfish pose on the side on the far side of the pitch just kind of like absolutely blowing i was like okay yeah no that makes some sense um but yeah uh, to to your original point guerrero i particularly from that from that left back position such a valuable asset for dortmund and not one of the players that you hear talked about i'd say in the english speaking world when when everyone's raving about dortmund but i think People who watch Dortmund every week, like yourself and like the people listening to this, know like how good he is. And, and maybe it's probably best that you don't speak too much about him, uh, because that way he'll stay at the club for just that little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just very nice to see the arc of Guerrero, how he often did not show up in big games and a bit too timid and his defensive performance was completely lacking his a- attacking output. And right now he's putting both these things sort of together and we're seeing a matured player that's, uh, you know, playing in a role that really suits him and this exhilarating, uh, exhilarating, <laughs> I guess, in both both uh, sense of the word. Sure. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm I'm just really glad to, to see him perform and, and, and play like that and, and uh, do things so intelligently. I mean, that when he first arrived at Dortmund under Thomas Tuchel and people weren't quite sure whether he would be played as a number eight or sort of a half winger, half center guy, somewhere in between, uh, you know, what, with a lot of freedom or would he play the left back position like he did uh, for Portugal because it was just previous to the, uh, was it uh, the European Championship? I think so. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really good to see that... Uh, a guy who everyone wasn't sure, you know, along with Mario Götze, whether he would actually extend his contract and whether he wanted to leave or not. 
Um, and then in the end, obviously, it was him who extended his contract and not Götze, um, that he now is such an established figure, figure in this team and uh, way more of a serious player, I would say, than he was before because um, just, you know, in, 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 the, in the sense of how I would uh, describe his, uh, you know, coming of age maybe is that he takes himself and his job a little bit more serious now. And I think that really reflects on the, on the field that uh, his, his work ethic is much better. He is alert for most of the 90 minutes uh, opposed to times where he just sort of dipped away and, and uh, lost oversight if you will, and, and started ball watching and all these kind of little details that you need to improve are there now. And so I'm very happy for him. Obviously, there's always room for improvement, but uh, the way he has thrived now under Lucien Favre is uh, something to behold, especially because he worked out really well as a as a wing back in that 3-5-2 system. And now when uh, Favre finally reverted to a back four, he is still performing on a very good level and I think that was one of the main concerns I personally had when Favre reverted to the back four what about Guerrero often as a left back as a true left back he really struggles and can't defend but right now uh, he is proving all the critics and you know I'm I'm certainly one of them completely wrong mm. so um, this performance alone was obviously a, a highlight game for him and obviously a shame that Guerrero couldn't uh, you know, had the team secured these points, but um, you know, coming coming up against uh, Command and, and Gnabry and, and the way he played, I think was uh, very very positive. So, um, you know, if if we want to highlight one Dortmund player, uh, I think for for me he was I think the best Dortmund player on on the field. Others might disagree and name another one, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm certainly very happy with that performance. He's the perfect kind of embodiment of, of of a father player i think intelligent quiet but good at picking up on these small technical details and and just being that kind of fine fine uh technical player i i guess like in, in just knowing when to move into the right areas of the pitch at the right time and I can't remember seeing Serge Gnabry look frustrated on too many occasions, but there was a moment in the first half where he just kind of had an outburst. It was like, ah, this is not, it's not working down this side. And I think that's as great a testament to Rafael Guerrero's performance as anything. Yeah. Um, overall, though, uh, let's, let's zoom out a little bit and not talk about players individually. Um, what did you sure. make of both teams and uh, their um, form and exploits in, in this game because Bayern obviously came into the game as the favorites, I would say, uh, considering their record they are on. And uh, how do you think both performed? Because overall, the headlines, I would say, and and uh, the, the, the top line reactions from people was, well, uh, first of all, this was a very good game. And I very much agree. So what do you think Archie made this a good game? And what were the components that uh, from both sides contributed to that? Apart from the goals, obviously. First of all, Dortmund played well. If Dortmund don't turn up to the party, then this is a different game completely. <laughs> so, so so that is don't the first necessary out, component. However, I think that they were able to limit Bayern. That, I would say, 
from what I've seen of Bayern this season, it was a six out of 10 performance by them. And still that's enough to get them over the line is probably what's going to kill Dortmund the most here because Bayern were there for the taking. There were, there were the chances. I, I think the, the amount of chances in the game, the amount of, of openings from, from what would make it into a highlights package, uh, it's not like there were kind of clear cut one on ones every five minutes, but there were lots of moments on the edge of the box where if Dortmund just played that one pass quicker or used or, or took a shot in a different area where you would say that those are, are big openings for these respective sides. So I thought, I thought that added to it. Obviously, there, there is certain bits of narrative that added to it as well. Uh, what with the whole David Alaba saga, which has been going on and, <laughs> and that, and that he is the, the guy after his contract offer is withdrawn and then Karl-Heinz Rummenigge turns up in Dortmund and, and says with a twinkle in his eye, ah, oh, there's still, there's still a bit of the door open for David. And he's like, oh, come on, you're toying with us. Um, <laughs> and then he's and then he steps off and puts away the free kick. You're like, of course, Ike. This is this is the sort of thing that happens in big games. And uh, yeah, I think there's there's a lot that this fixture has going for it. As much as I understand people wanting to reject the whole classica thing being shoved in their face, uh, I I get it. You know, <laughs> but, it's it's funny though because time, I personally I'm coming around to it now because I I thought just already before the game where. In a long time, this could be a game where you actually have this good old classica feeling, like the Dortmund v Bayern feeling, where you know it's going to be a match performed on a very high level, which it was on the, on, in, the in the Klopp era and also parts of the Tuchel era, where you just knew this was going to be the highest level of German football from so many aspects, be it tactically, be it physically, and and just uh, mm. you know obviously. At the entertainment factor, and and I think for for uh, for once, uh, it it once again uh, proved correct. And uh, you know, I I I want to have this discussion with someone like, uh, what what is a good time where the term classica actually gains a little bit of validity? Do we have to wait a whole decade? Is it two decades? How long does it? take to coin this term which was obviously born out of artifice if you will and and uh, you know make it sort of stick in the, in a truer sense than uh, it is now because as you say most people really do reject it because they know it's 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 not quote-unquote organically grown out of a very long and rich history but obviously for the foreseeable foreseeable future you know this is a rivalry that will be probably unmatched in, in German football. Yeah, and, and people reject it as well, I think, because it's what it it's about what modern day football stands for and people don't like that. That that's as as much a reason behind that as well. Um, but you mentioned the physicality there. That is, I think, an element that having having seen a lot of a lot of the Bundesliga now this season a, a a large chunk of the team's play no one is able to play with the intensity and raise it to quite the same gear as as these two sides in terms of in terms of speed and strength there you was that, a couple of moments you in your red ball <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> no continue sorry <laughs> but, but 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 even even Leipzig like 
Leipzig have a have a good team, um, but there's no. I, I don't think they have the same standard of attacking individuals going forward. I, they have some very, very talented players, but no one quite in the same bracket as Bayern and, and maybe not even as, as Dortmund as well. And I, I, almost, I almost see Leverkusen and Gladbach in that, in that same category as well, albeit that the, the more... The, the, the more I watch Florian Wirtz, this 17-year-old wonder kid for, for Leverkusen, the more I believe that, well, in three years' time, he's going to be really quite something <laughs> if he isn't already now. Um, and, and there was just a few moments where like, Haaland uh, turned on like the... Uh, you know that bit in, in Mario Kart when you get the star and you kind of... And you drive... Or, or, or like the bullet and you just drive past everyone else. It felt like... He'd had that and <laughs> just just the way he was able to overtake him because he's like he was still they were both sprinting. But there was just this this next level that came out to go and get the ball, which was still about five meters ahead of him. I was like, OK, yeah, you're not having to use that against Mainz, are you? Um, like there's there's something I think about about when the best sides face each other that they can really milk the extra percentage points out of one another. And, and that's what will continue, will continue to fuel the hype around this fixture. And I'll try and do that sensitively because, you know, <laughs> most of my mates on, on Dortmund and Bayern sides hate, hate the word classica. But at the same time, it's becoming difficult not to because... It's a really good game for for the most part. Well, if it's played in Dortmund, it's usually a really good game. When you go down to the Allianz Arena in the last few years, it's uh, it's a bit more one sided. Yeah. Also, I'll put my writer's hat on. And I'll just say I like to describe things in eclectic ways, and you obviously do not want to repeat words when you write a blurb or whatever. So uh, mm -hmm. just just having another phrase to name something comes in very handy. So if you ever See me use it. That's probably why it's just me being yeah. lazy <laughs> and not caring I, about uh, anyone's displeasure. It's like it's like sometimes as a writer, when when you've said the team's name once, and then it's like, well, I've got to refer to them again in the next paragraph. Um, okay, it's like the black the, and yellows, the schwarz gelb, <laughs> the Russ, yeah, exactly, the Westphalians, <laughs> Lucien Favre's man, and on and on it goes. Oh. <laughs> Lucien Favre's side yeah <laughs> anywho exactly uh, we do have a question from Colin James on Twitter and he says would love to hear your take on Sancho's run of form lately in an upcoming episode such a mercurial player but struggling to get into matches at what point do you rotate Royce back to the wing and put Brandt centrally uh, I'm just gonna flick that one to you and uh whether you actually uh, allow the premise of the question or not. What was what was the part about him him playing centrally? Just quickly, uh, it, it it was basically whether you rotate Royce on the uh, on the wing for Sancho and then put Brunt centrally. So because right now Brunt and Royce are competing for that number ten position. Okay, I think that we need to remember Jaden Sancho is still 20 years old, that there are going to be fluctuations in his form and we have to accept that his his head was turned by 
the Manchester United oh, mega move that didn't happen. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> if 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 Hans Joachim Vatskas says says it was so, uh, as as the Dortmund CEO did on uh, on Saturday, saying about how he'd had a he'd had a chat with Sancho and how that he thinks he's ready to go again because like his head his head was turned by by those advances um but also if i'm right in thinking i think lars has has said this before uh lars polman that is uh saying that you know he he's forever taken a long time to get into some games uh that i think if people with a who who are doing all the consistent linking of jaden sancho to england were to watch him on a 90 minute basis uh, on, uh, on on a, on a weekly basis, you wouldn't see a player that is is forcing his way through and dribbling past everybody with every single run that he makes. That that I think sometimes he is best off the bench, and it's it, he's still one of the best dribblers in, in in the division. But there's also I think a question mark over him of these big games and. In my memory, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the big games against Bayern, I can remember one good half from him, <laughs> like one really good half, and that was the second half in that in that three-two win. Um, um, Wait, well, yeah, I think him apart- on as a sub too. If I'm not mistaken. no, no, he started, he started, oh, he, started? That, he started that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember David Alaba having him in his pocket for the first half, um, but I. He's still he's still young and 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 this is something that I think Dortmund fans have to as as much as it hurts have to accept that when you have a young side your such as the way that the club has chosen to operate you're making uh, the players who will eventually be the finished product and I think the frustration for Dortmund fans is that you don't get to see the finished product oh well you do and it's Robert Lewandowski smacking you every time over <laughs> the head with a shovel <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, exactly and I, I had a chat with um with a, a very good friend of mine who's a who's a French football journalist and and a big Dortmund fan um, and one of the things she said to me is the the problem w- the, the problem is right now for Dortmund is that as good as these players are, how many people will have the same emotional reaction when Jaden Sancho leaves the club as they did for say Dede, as they did for say Nuri Shahin or Shinji Kagawa the first time that that these things happen? It's the, the way that things are structured now is is very different and and Dortmund is not it's it's not like it was a mega destination to go to before Jurgen Klopp created that and Lucien Favre is still having to work in his very considerable shadow which <laughs> the club themselves are also perpetuating by continually bringing players back I'm not sure how wise it was if it made sense in, in a football sense but how wise it was bringing Mats Hummels back and giving him the status uh, that he has at the club. Um, that's a that's a separate but equally big tangent. The point I'm making is that whilst Sancho's form is frustrating, I wonder I wonder in two years if there's going to be. It, I I can't think of moments where. I I I know the I know the yellow wall has chanted his name on a on a couple of occasions, but. I I think he needs to come up in 
in some in some more big important moments for the club. Of course, the goal against the, the winning goal against Schalke was one of them. But I'm I, I think that he he does need to he does need to show more consistency. But at the same time, he is twenty, and this is kind of just the way that it goes for Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, we all know that Jane Sancho has problems in in his sort of work ethic. He is not an Arling Haaland in, in the sense that he sort of lives on the training ground and uh, does everything 100% for success. I think, uh, you know, that Mamba mentality you can talk about is, is probably not quite instilled into Jane Sancho yet. However, I would say about this particular game that I thought he had a decent game. Um, and you must it took him half an hour, I thought, to find his way in. Yeah, yeah, he he does, he does. But you know, uh, I'm grading him on a curve a little bit now because there were moments in the Bayern game where he was subbed off after half an hour because he was not tracking mm-hmm. back and making mistakes left, right, and center. And so far yeah. out of it, that uh, he was a liability instead of an asset. So um, this has changed, and obviously, yes, it it does take him some time to get into the game. But um, the the problem is, in, in this particular match, he's also a little bit the victim of Dortmund's, uh, as you so put it, root opportunities. Because, um, for example, when he had that really great uh, cross over to Axel Witzel, which he then completely shanks, um, is, is, is an amazing pass and a really great spot. And then Witzel just, you know, can't decide whether he wants to play it back into the into the uh, box or whether he wants to shoot directly and uh, yeah it just went completely wayward uh, not the easiest ball obviously to con- to convert but uh, I've seen Axel Witzel play this ball back into the box and I know he can and I think he just made the wrong decision and uh, obviously that could have been a big chance for Dortmund and uh, the uh, chance that Dortmund fans probably will speak the most of after this game is right after halftime when Haaland failed to square it and just sort of found Mm. the corridor in between Neuer and the teammate um, that obviously that pass was also made possible by Jadon Sancho so um, I I do think he had really good moments in in this game and uh, his quality did help Dortmund to be the team that won the expected goals challenge, if you will. Of uh, <laughs> I think FB FB Ref has uh, Dortmund winging it two point zero to one point one. Um, that's obviously uh, from from stats bomb. Then um, I've seen different different models, but uh, you know the the point stands that I think that overall Sancho had a had a good and and decent performance. It was not outstanding. Uh, you know, taking the, the, the game and winning it by yourself performances or, or the way he sort of dribbled past everyone um, in that Super Cup win last season where he really made the fool out of everyone. And, and I think the, the first goal uh, he scored there was just completely outrageous. Um, that wasn't the case. We know that he can be more outstanding. But, you know, all that being said, I don't I don't think I want to criticize him too harshly right now especially since um, we talk about his inconsistency and while his attacking output um, lacks a little bit more this season, I would say this, that uh, in terms of the defensive department and and staying focused for a longer amount of time and being aware and and helping in, 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 in the defensive department, which he did not do too many times last season, I think he actually did make a big step forward and I think it's maybe also down to Lucien Favre 
having a bit of a talk with him about his role and uh, you know mm -hmm. i think it it helps to you know dortmund being more balanced and we mustn't forget that he does not have Achraf hakimi to play off of because that was also a big factor how dortmund created a lot of goals that there was a one two of hakimi uh, just running into the space where uh, sancho would pass in or vice versa and uh, that's a very good point and and Meunier is just a different kind of player so it's obviously much much harder for Sancho to create that momentum um people often see him as this one we one player that that wins a lot of dribbles but I don't think that's necessarily the case I think most of his uh, really good moments come by a very uh, very very quick and fast so quick and fast that I try to do it in one word um yeah <laughs> combination play yeah He's able to find those 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 passes into that into that half space yeah. channel between goal and corner. So if people mm. see it on TV and the players see it too, but by the time they realize that there was an opportunity and someone made a run, exactly that moment has passed, and uh, Jaden Sancho has the quality to exactly play that pass. Uh, in in the in the tempo that needs to be played in, so um, that is really the big quality of Jane Sancho, and I think there's some readjusting to do now that Meunier is there. So um, I don't know. Yeah, his his numbers aren't as as great of the last season, but I find this narrative that oh yeah, his head was uh, you know turned by Manchester United. I find it a little bit lazy as well. I I think there are yeah. better explanations too. Yeah, may, maybe it it's a part, and obviously I don't want to. Uh, take it down too many times but also also think that uh, Dortmund's game has just changed a little bit and Jaden Sancho with it and he he needs to reinvent himself a little bit but I mean yeah uh, obviously I'm not in Jaden Sancho's head and I don't know what's going on we both know that your uh, mental uh, shape can obviously affect your game and, and your performance in, in, in various ways and uh, being preoccupied with a potential move to Manchester United, which is obviously a very big club, <laughs> can probably do something to a 20-year-old. I'm not denying that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So this Also planning which Corona party he was going to as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, that, that's going to take up some energy. <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah. no, to, to, to be fair, to be fair, I, I stand corrected on... Um, performances against Bayern uh, the, that Super Cup game he was good but then again it makes me think it's just a I, Super I, Cup I, so yeah yeah I mean you know if, if I'm working it long live the Super Cup okay but <laughs> at the same time the Bundesliga games are more important yeah so. but the problem is also that Dortmund often in, in Bayern games don't uh, you know <laughs> this is this is sort of a, a, a weird argument to make, but uh, because Jaden Sancho is obviously part of the team, you can't just take him out there. But they're collectively so bad that it's really hard to stand out as a as an individualist, let's say, because Dortmund get shanked at the other end. So it mm -hmm. almost doesn't matter what Jaden Sancho does. But then again, uh, he is part of that collective failure if they you know get rounded. Uh, routed at the sure. at the alliance for example but um anyway let's let's move on from jay and sancho and uh, briefly because we have uh, talked obviously a bit about the alternating phases of the game and if you've talked about the joshua kimmich injury and uh, i would love to discuss what that means uh, in the long term for bayern but before we do that quickly i think the final stretch of the game um really were more in dortmund's hands 
uh, and that was obviously due to Jude Bellingham coming on and uh, replacing Thomas Delaney, who was on a yellow card at that moment. Uh, I think he came on after 60 minutes and Julian Brandt obviously then for Jaden Sancho uh, with uh, 20 minutes to go and uh, Hazard as well for Reina. And I think that really reinvigorated this Dortmund team by by a lot and uh, is is probably also the stretch of time where I really think Dortmund could have and arguably should have won it or uh, at least equalized. I mean, they, they got one goal in the end, but uh, that's uh, very frustrating, especially in the light that uh, they couldn't defend this one counterattack of, of Leroy Zane in the 80th minute, which was a classic way of how Dortmund get countered is when uh, they try to attack and uh, I think it was Haaland who couldn't control the ball and then uh, Bayern just over overran them and you talked about uh, Hummel's uh, last-ditch defending and whatnot. But overall, bigger picture, I, th I do think that Dortmund in that phase were the fitter team and in better shape and uh, were sort of more in control and uh, sort of bits, uh, it is a bit frustrating to see then they're not taking advantage of it. We have referenced that 3-2 win uh, off now, which is, you know, went in a very similar way where Bayern Munich were even more dominant back then in the first half and really clobbered Dortmund and Dortmund were very lucky to get out of this half only being, I I, I don't even know what the what the scoreline was. Was it, it was two, 1 nil, one nil one at nil. half time. Yeah, so um, in, in, in that regard, it was similar. The Dortmund ended up on top actually being, you know, ha having fresher legs and, uh, you know, being able to dominate a little bit more. So since you are from Great Britain, uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, you are now also the one to talk about Jude Bellingham and how he changed the game a little bit in Dortmund's favor, considering that I think today he got his uh, call up to the three Lions after playing for the under-21s last time. So obviously a huge moment for him in his uh, very young stage of, of his uh, footballing career so since he is only 17 years old. Yeah, and it's why if, if we come back to the first chat we had about the starting lineup, it made sense to me of having Thomas Delaney almost do the dirty work for an hour and then you bring on Jude Bellingham. Then you bring on somebody who can drive into these tight areas a bit more against tired legs. I thought that that is what helped him to shine. And it is that it's it's quite a simple thing that I I like about Bellingham, I guess, which is when he gets the ball and he plays a pass forward. Right, as soon as he plays the pass forward, he's gone. You know, he's moving. And he will, he will, he will go for areas that don't always, I'd say, look obvious to, to the eye when you're watching them. But I just, I love, I love the way that he goes forward. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Stefan, but I, I've had to watch football that goes sideways most of my life. <laughs> so I have a real appreciation <laughs> for players who, who go forward in, in that direction and at that tempo. And I think to have a player like Bellingham who drives forward from deep like he does, that is something that that scares teams, particularly I think in, in Germany as well, where you expect just combination play most of the time, you know, you, I'd say a lot of the time defenders here aren't prepared for for people who are who are strong on the ball dribblers um, or as prepared, shall we say? Um, but I think that 
that Bellingham just has oh, so much maturity with his game and and his understanding of it that yeah exciting player for, for for Dortmund to have and and you wonder how his how his uh, development curve is is going to look I, I he had a tough time in that game against Lazio the other week but <laughs> again in a similar sense to the way you're talking about Sancho there so did everybody else um but no I uh, I have to say from 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 what I've seen of Jude Bellingham so far like a very another very exciting talent that that Dortmund have got and I think in this game just just by coming on and and not not trying to overplay but just doing simple things well and and finding and finding spaces where I don't know am I contradicting myself if I'm saying overplaying and then finding complicated passes probably a little bit (laughs) (laughs) it's all right we all contradict these uh ourselves a little bit here and there what I mean I guess what I mean I guess is is being able to see to see options that not every other player uh sees and be quick of mind to to take them before those options are gone I think that's what Bellingham is good at you know uh I I think I think just the uh the, the the phrase doing simple things well is sort of uh not hundred percent correctly because doing simple things in itself and 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 finding sort of a clear structure that to the uh you say spectators eye uh the the moves he makes just feel very obvious because it's what what you sort of would expect from from you watching the game but actually making the run into the space where you that you see from from your perspective is is maybe not as, as obvious on the football field as as it uh, appears to be so um yeah uh, i i think in that regard uh, he's just very intelligent um but what i will add is that i really liked his performance against arminia bielefeld and i'm saying this in a sense that i'm just very glad that he went to the uh, proverbial steel bath that was the english championship and uh, really knows these sort of gritty games where you have to get stuck in in the uh, you know as 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 they like to say um and and i really do like that he does not really care who his opponent is and always comes out with the same industrious attitude and is very mm-hmm. physical about it and uh, you know we've heard a lot about box to box midfielders uh, you know Thomas Delaney has been called that, but uh, I think he is taking it to another level that his range between the two boxes is even a little wider than, say, a Delaney or, or other players that have been labeled a box-to-box midfielder because he does all, actually go into the box as well. And uh, he is not the biggest goal threat per se, but, uh, you know, he does make things happen. So it was kind of poetic that he was the one to came uh to 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 get his head to the very last chance that Dortmund had which obviously then sure. was a very tame sort of lopped header which uh Manuel Neuer had zero trouble of saving but uh yeah um I'm, I, was... I have to say I, I'd forgotten I'd forgotten that he'd had that chance because I think at that point I was so much in my zone of yeah what am I going to ask here? Um, <laughs> I have to say my concentration levels sometimes when I'm working at games goes down, particularly in the last 10 minutes of a game because you're just like, okay, so 
what should I say here? And what would what what might get a good answer there? <laughs> it completely passed me by that yeah, Bellingham is, had that final this chance. Is com- this is completely normal. When I uh, when I used to to write the player ratings for ESPN, uh, you know, I was pretty much just seeing uh, the the laptop screen instead of the field, and you only sort of raise your eyes just over the screen to peek what's going on when you hear like uh, the audience, you know, having a rise. Uh, I I really know that feeling that uh, you sort of have to rewatch the game at some point to really know what what's going on. <laughs> it's kind of counterproductive yeah. because you do need to rate players and especially in very crucial moments that happen late in the game that sort of influences the the, the score. Uh, and then you're missing crucial parts is not ideal, but hence is the uh, job that you've tasked with. So um yeah, but. It's got to be some sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Sacrifice is a very good word because Joshua Kimmich sacrificed himself clumsily and ill-advisedly trying to foul and stop Arling Haaland, which was a very dumb idea, and he paid dearly with the uh, snapped LCL, I think. So he already underwent surgery and uh, will at least be out for the rest of the year. Um, if not longer. So obviously we have raved a little bit about Joshua Kimmich in the last episode. We talked about how he is the uh, has the most punchable face of all Bayern players. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we 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 tried to be nice. Yeah, but we tried to we tried to uh, <laughs> connect it with his uh, you know importance for Bayern and uh, how how great of a player he actually is. Um, we had to admit, unfortunately. So Archie. Um, we saw obviously a game between uh, Bayern and Dortmund where the teams were very close on on one level, I would say, and uh, they are only three points apart now. So it's not like this kills off the title race. So what do you think this Kimmich injury will mean for the rest of the year and how the season will continue? Do you think this weakens Bayern enough so that Dortmund can get another sniff at them? Or do you think it's over? I just can't see seven or six. He asks. <laughs> I just can't see this Hansi Flick team letting up, even if Kantan Toliso is coming into that, and I don't think he's quite at the same level as as Joshua Kimmich. I think every time that you think, ah, okay, so Alfonso Davies is injured. Well, Lucas Hernandez hasn't looked all that good. And then Hernandez has a has a run in the team. And it's like, oh, yes, no, I can see why they paid 80 million euros for him. He is <laughs> he is very, very good. Yes, okay. Um, so there's always a strong, there's always a strong option there who if, if uh, that said player is given the right run of games, which even at, at the top level is just as important at, uh, as as in any level of football, I think. Um, then they will perform. And I think Toliso has, this is a big chance for Toliso because I don't think you would say that in his time at Bayern, he's really proved to 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 be worth the 40 million that they paid uh, or, or so to, to get him from Leon. So I think he's a, I think he's a, a good player and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more of him. And the thing is, is it going to weaken Bayern en- enough I think we we could maybe be talking about something interesting happening if the guy who was injured for a couple of months was Robert Lewandowski. Fair enough. Then it'd be like, hmm, okay. But even even as good as, as Kimmich is, I think 
I, he, he he's a central axis to this team, a hundred percent. But I just see so much strength in that Bayern side that even if they are going to concede a couple of goals every now and then, when you can bring on Leroy Sane, <laughs> you're 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 in a very good position. You know, so it's, it's kind of weird. I still see I, this I, as I Bayern's th- title. I think a lot of people, a lot of Dortmund fans, had almost forgotten about Leroy Sane because he is not playing the. Uh, uh, the role that that one might assume yet for Bayern, like he is, I think, a super mm. sub, um, and yeah. and then you almost didn't notice that he came on for command, and all of a sudden he pops up in front of Fumbles in Akanji and then sticks the ball away with his. I think it was pretty much his only chance, right? Um, yeah, no, exactly. So. Uh, but he's he's taken over that very um that very proud uh, Bayern number ten mantle of ah. You wear the number 10 at Bayern. So what you need to do is you need to cut inside onto your left foot and just bend <laughs> it into the far corner. And he's doing that very well. How very annoying. I have to say, I have to say they are really quite something to watch. Um, Ike, w- watching watching this Bayern side live at times has All right, it was been... nice to have you on. Uh <laughs> <laughs> has been very exciting as a neutral observer um so yeah i i I won't i won't twist the knife any further (laughs) yeah no i think that's a a a good time to knock it on the head unless unless of course you have any final points you absolutely want to make that uh, you i have not led you onto with my questioning just thinking of anything else i saw that might be of interest seeing lucien favre dance around in anger on the pitch after as, as he waited to do his interview with Sky and and I, I say that in, in terms of he was dancing around trying to sh- show the uh, Dortmund uh, press officer Sasha Fligger something uh, in obviously that he was unhappy about in the game. I think that that's something I'd raise because I don't see that too often from Favre. That sort of animation is something that I always hear in Germany is, is lacking from him. You know, he's not, he's not passionate enough, which I think is, is, is not true. It's just, he's, he's passionate about football in a very different way. Whilst, uh, whilst Jürgen Klopp would beat his chest and, and roar, right? Lucien Favre just turns that energy into rewinding his videotape to find that extra uh, detail of, of somebody's left foot being out of place. So that, that's just how it manifests itself. I mean, it is noticeable so, that he once again said that at the at the post-game press conference that he sort of criticised his players for not being well enough uh, playing the ball with their weaker foot. And I, I think it's, it's true, especially against Bayern, because Bayern... Players defensively are so good at closing you down in a way that uh, you are often forced to play with your weaker foot, and then uh, mm. the the outcome and the result is not uh, as uh, as hoped and wished for by a Dortmund coach. So I can definitely see that criticism because I notice it myself even. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of sort of his his. Uh, his slant, if you will, it's kind of the the Favre swagger to go off that. But I think uh, good old Lulu has come out of his shell a little bit this season. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's he's definitely more noticeable on that pitch side. Lulu, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the most hilarious <laughs> nickname. Oh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Archie, uh, please tell our listeners how to find you on Twitter. 
they can find me uh, giving video previews and the odd review from car parks and Bundesliga stadiums <laughs> at ArchieRT1 on Twitter. Yeah. Is there anything of ESPN uh, word that you want or need to plug or a podcast? Uh, catch me on ESPN FC, mostly after Bundesliga weekends, sometimes before them. And scroll down in the comments to see me described as Adam Lalana's put on some weight uh, <laughs> or... <laughs> Or, well, look at him now, talked up Nagelsmann to, to be better tactically than Solskjaer. But look what happened. <laughs> This didn't age well, lol. Um, so, so yeah, uh, if, if, if you want to see hot takes go badly, uh, <laughs> at RGRT1 on Twitter. Very well, yeah. Uh, hot takes going badly is obviously nothing that would ever occur on Ed Stefan Butzko's feed. Just completely unheard of. 100% record of being correct. Everyone knows that. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, you can uh, follow all of us at Yellow Wall Pod and obviously subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And uh, once again, a reminder, if you want to shoot us a question uh, for our Q&A, do this via the various means uh, I've already indicated. So Twitter, I think, is the best way or an email. And uh, if you want to sponsor an episode like Zach, then uh, go to patreon.com slash for more information. And uh, if you do that, also please maybe uh, hit me a direct message immediately with the shout out that you want to have read out because Patreon is a little clumsy sometimes and doesn't let me know as it should. So uh, if I don't see it, don't be mad at me. It just might be Patreon being stupid or I'm not diligent enough. One of the two, so do be mad at me. But either way, um, once again, as always, thank you for listening. And obviously, big thanks for Archie to lending his expertise for this episode. And uh, we will be back with the international break Q&A. And hope until then, all the Dortmund players do stay fit and do not get the runner. Good. <laughs>